or you've been to a children's Sunday school class, you'll notice that there's a picture of an ark on the wall, and you'll see animals' heads stuck out of the ark. Well, that's not right. That's not right. Uh, the ark was a ship, a huge ship. It looks like, if you've not seen it, it looks like one of the oil tankers that you would see today, one of those super tankers. Uh, and when you get inside, and we don't think about the technology that it had at the time, uh, most folks think that they were just taking grown animals and say, well, they hauled babies. They were on that ship for over a year. Not only did they have more than two of every kind, uh, but they grew their own food in there. Uh, they had a little garden set up inside of it, and they grew their own food. Um, and so we don't always think about the technology that goes into this thing. Uh, they had fresh air makeup. They would exercise the animals on these little walk things, and what it would do, it made billows, and it would pump the, the bad air out and suck in the good air. And they also had manure exchanges that would do the same thing. These animals, and when you think about having to water and feed all those animals, they had great big systems of water on board, and they would tilt them by a little wheel, mechanical advantage, and they would run down troughs and water all the animals. One guy didn't have to spend his whole life carrying buckets of water. to. It was, it was automated from all practical sense at the time. Um, and so we sometimes overlook these things that, you know, uh, because of cartoons and because of the way things are depicted, uh, there is an attack on the book of Genesis. Number one, the first chapter of Genesis, and there's an attack on the, not much, but a lot on the Revelation. Uh, but number one thing is, is they try to attack Genesis, the book of Genesis, especially the first three chapters and namely the first few verses, because if they can cause doubt and how the world was created, then you can doubt the rest of the book. And we know this book is God's word and inspired. So anyway, we're going to, uh, we're going to go to chapter 3 of Genesis, and we're going to start uh, uh, in verse 6. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eye, and the tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit, therefore, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And then they heard the voice of the Lord walking through the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord, God amongst the trees and garden. And the Lord called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said unto the, uh, he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree thereof I commanded thee that thou should not eat? And the man said, The woman who you gavest to me, 
or to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. Let's stop right there and let's pray. Father God, I love you and I thank you for this day. And Lord, I ask you to open this scripture up to us. Let us understand that there's pictures here that we need to see, not only of a foretaste, but that apply to us today. Lord, I ask you to uh, let this word fall upon the hearts that need to hear it. Touch the souls that need to hear it. And Lord, we just trust you for all things. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. Sin equals fear. And, we, and that also brings in a lot, of, uh, a lot of other issues of blaming and, and, and separation. Uh, but in verse 8, it says that, uh, And they heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. Man's original courageousness in God was gone. Think about it. He used to walk and talk with God. They eat this. They opened up the thing. They become aware of the fact that they're naked. They never knew they were naked. And, and, it, and what we need to understand from this is they, opened, they ate. They both ate and their eyes were open. And they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. See, man's false enlightenment becomes darkness. Think about that. What happened? They thought, Satan told them that they were going to be enlightened. Oh, you're going to be like God. You're going to know things. You're going to see things and know things that just like God. And when they took a bite of the fruit and they saw the things and they knew the things just like God, they didn't like it. See, they were deceived because it put them into darkness. It drove them. It, it enslaved them to fear. That's what sin does. It separates. It drives you to darkness. And it causes you to be a slave to fear. How many of you sitting here today are afraid someone might find out about some secret you're hiding or harboring? Think about it. Oh, if they find out this about me or I did this in my past. Oh, they won't love me anymore. They won't like me. They'll shun me. Sin. How many of us have unconfessed sin in our lives that causes us to be paralyzed by fear, to be enslaved by it? Well, I don't want to go over there and do that. I might, I might slip up. I might say the wrong things. Because, see, we have a habit in the church today. We have a big habit in the church today of acting like Christians rather than being Christians. We do. We have people who have grown up in the church not necessarily those that are grown. We have people that come to God, have an emotional experience, come to God, and they think they're Christians because they got caught with their hand in the cookie jar rather than making a heartfelt confession to Christ. And so they go through the motions. They sit amongst them. They learn the lingo. They learn the proper terms and the etiquette so that people will not doubt their salvation. And then you preach a sermon that causes the word to penetrate their heart and they get upset. They even make statements like, I think he's calling my salvation into question. Well, if you have that question, your salvation is at, question, at stake. 
You should be able to withstand the Word of God as a redeemed believer. You should be able to take it to heart. Yes, it may stomp your toes. It may hurt your feelings. But you have a Lord who loves you and died for you and called you to Him. We shouldn't shrug the Word of God. How many of us skip chapters of the Bible when we do read the Bible because we don't like what it says? Because we're in the middle of that, that it's calling into question. Have you ever noticed that? That you don't read the Bible for a while and then all of a sudden you open it up and you decide you're going to read right there and the first or second uh, scripture you read is about what you've been doing? That's amazing how that works, isn't it? The Spirit of God is alive and He's in you. The Spirit of God is working upon you. And He wants you to recognize this darkness, this new enlightenment that people put out. Man's enslavement to fear. Think about it. Think about it. We are afraid of a lot of things. Oh, I can't do this because if I do this, this might happen and I'll lose everything. Well, what difference does it make if you gain the world and lose your soul? All of this, all of this at the fall of man has ramifications onto us. Yes, we inherited the sin nature. Yes, we were, we were followers of, of Satan for a time. We were, we were at enemy with God and then we accepted Christ and we became grafted in to the family of Jesus. We're joint heirs. And so, they hid themselves. Their eyes were open. How many of you recognize that when you came to Christ and through the place today that your eyes are open to sin, you recognize it? And we seem to be really focused on sin in other people. How many of us take that sin and look it in the mirror? You know, the strongest and most vocal advocate that you have for your demise looks you in the mirror every morning. You're not good enough. You'll hear those voices. You're not good enough. Who do you think you are? Boy, you've got all these people deceived. You think you're this and this is this. God has called you here for this purpose. He's placed you here at Deep Creek Baptist Church and He's placed you here in Pinehurst in this area here for a reason. To do His will. Time is short. Time is short. And so God calls the sinners. He calls to them. In verse 9 we read, uh, and the Lord called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? That same call is issued daily. That same call is issued daily. And if we do what we're called to do, if we share God's, God's word, the good news, the gospel with others, they will hear that, that call. Where are you? And if you're sitting here today and you're having trouble and struggles with your relationship with Jesus, He's calling. We have hymns we sing when we do our, our offertory or, or our, our benediction at the end when we do the invitation. Tenderly, softly calling. Oh sinner, where art thou? Come home. Jesus is calling us home. He's calling us home. God seeks the sinner first. How do you think you get interested in these things? God is calling you. The Holy Spirit is working upon you. Salvation is of God and the Holy Spirit. It's a miracle. It's a miracle that you would come to the place of repentance or rejection 
Once you accept Him, you become a new creature. You are the first miracle that you've received. You, be, you are it. You are a new person. And what does a sinner do? What do we all do when we were kids and we got caught doing something? And you could hear your mama's voice or your daddy's voice. What did we do? We hid. Didn't matter. They were going to find us. But we hid. Or we, and then we, the next thing we did is we blamed it on somebody else. I have a great example of that. I was probably 18 months old. I could walk. Could not talk. Now this story has been relayed to me from my parents. My dad was in the Air Force. And we were at McCoy Air Force Base, which is in Orlando, Florida. 19, probably 59, somewhere in there, because I was born in 58. Uh, and we lived in a trailer. My dad had, a, had two trailers. He had one in Georgia and one there. And uh, it was in this trailer park. And the lady that lived next to us had these beautiful roses. I remember them. I can remember her trailer vaguely. It was pink and white. Little things I remember, but this I don't remember that there, they had a, a little barbecue and a couple come over and there was a little girl that was able to talk and she picked them roses and that lady asked her, who told you to pick them roses? And she said, Jerry, I couldn't even talk. So people blaming things on me has been going on my whole life. You know, so that's what we do when we get caught. We blame things. We, we seek to hide from God. And we try to put everything off on somebody else to avoid a personal accounting by our sins or for our sin. I mean, it talks right here. You know, said, uh, he said, Adam, where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Today, most of us, if we were to be caught and heard God calling and we were naked, we'd hide ourselves also. But then the question comes, who told you you were naked? See, he didn't know he was naked. We developed this after him because of this event. And he says, hast thou eaten of the tree wherefore or whereof I commanded thee that thou should not eat? How many of us on a regular basis do things we're told not to do? Can't help it. We can't help it. I did it yesterday. I did it this morning. I eat me a bowl of cereal, which is rare. And I left the bowl on the table rather than putting it, rinsing it out and putting it in the, in the sink like I've been told for 30 some odd years. When you use something, put it up. At least I put the milk back in the refrigerator. I didn't leave it out. I put the cornflakes back up in the cabinet. I didn't leave it out. But I left my bowl and I left my spoon on the table. We do these things. And this is minor. They're minor, but they can build up if we're not careful. But this was a major thing. He went from not knowing that they were naked to all of a sudden they were naked. Their eyes had been opened. And so what did they do? Not only did they fashion some covering for themselves, they did what they were told not to do, but they hid from God. What does sin cause us to do? Number one, it gives us false light and enlightenment. It brings us into darkness. Number two, it enslaves us in fear. They were hid because they were afraid. 
And then the next thing it does, it causes us to hide from God. Why do we hide? Because we're embarrassed. Why do we hide? And it's God we're talking about. It ain't like he doesn't know. You know, there's nowhere he's not. Nowhere. There's nowhere he's ever not been. There's nowhere he will ever not be. Nowhere. So with that being said, kind of useless to hide from God, isn't it? What we shouldn't just we just go forward and address him and and, and, and and confess what we've done. And the Lord said let's see. And the Lord said unto the woman, What is this thou hast done? But before that, the man does the blame game. And the man said, the woman who thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I did eat. Now, you have to understand, Adam was there the whole time the conversation between the serpent and the woman was going on. And what did he do? Nothing. Nothing. And then when the woman took a bite, what did she do? She persuaded her husband to take a bite also. And then what did Adam do? And Eve, they hid themselves from God. They were afraid. And then Adam throws Eve under the bus. The, the woman you gave me. He goes back. Now, as in, in a sense, he is blaming God himself for him eating of the tree of knowledge that he was told not to eat of. How many times have we done that? We take what somebody says and twist it. To meet, so it doesn't sound as bad. You know, we call that today, how many of us spin the circumstances? Now, if you were wanting to, say, purchase something that your wife doesn't really want you to purchase, but you really want it, you can spin a conversation to where you can get it. You just have to be patient. Don't Just a little bit here and a little bit there. You know how to manipulate the conversation to eventually... Have her come to understand that that's a great idea. You can do that. Why don't we do that with the gospel? We're masters of it for doing it for the things that we want. There's a piece of equipment or there's just a little toy. You know, the difference between men and boys is the price of their toys. Uh, why don't we do that with the gospel? Why don't we? And see here, Adam, he's trying to, he's trying to play that with the Lord. The woman whom you gave to be with me. Then went from his wife to the woman. See, sinners seek to hide. And then we seek to blame. Sinners seek to blame. And God demands a personal accounting of the sinner. And he said, who told you what wasn't happening? Who told you you were naked? And then the Lord said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly thou shalt through go, and dust shall thou eat all the days of thy life. Now you know why snakes don't have arms and legs. Now you know. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. 
It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now we're talking about Jesus and Satan. Satan's going to bruise the heel of Jesus. And that actually happened when he hung on the cross. Satan thought he had won. Thought it was over with. That he had defeated God. And three days later, Christ rose from the grave. And Satan's head has been hurting ever since. And it will really hurt in the future. And so what it comes down to is there's an enemy between Satan and God. And if he can distract God's people, if he can distract us with all these things that's going on that glitter around the world, that glitter outside this church, and keep us from doing what God's called us to do, then he's won. Think about what happens when every one of us decides that we're going we're to take five minutes a day and read God's Word. We're going to take another five minutes and we're going to pray and ask God to guide us. Think about that. We're going to ask God to restore the luster and the fire of when we first became saved or first became into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Remember how on fire you were? I've told you all. You know, my dad finally told me I had to shut up. That's all I was talking about. From the time I woke up to the time I went to bed, I wanted everybody to know what Christ did for me. He said, that's great, boy, but there's a time and a place. I should have kept at it. Because the time and the place is every day, everywhere. The time and the place is everywhere. And so there's an accounting of the sinner. And the only way that you're going to miss out on the judgment that is due you just by birthright is through the shed blood of Christ on the cross and the acceptance that he is who he is and that he died for your sins. And that he's calling you to salvation. It's up to you to accept it. It's up to you to reject it. No one can do it for you. And you've heard me say this before. Your mothers and your fathers can't do it for you. Your grandparents can't do it. You cannot inherit salvation. You have to experience it one-on-one, -on -one, naked and alone before the world and God. And he will set you free. He will tell you, take my yoke, it is light. It's a narrow path to salvation. The road to hell is wide. Old rock and roll song. Highway to hell. Wide open. Fast as you can go. That's where people are headed. But you need to get them to the other rock and roll song. Stairway to heaven. Unless you're a, an elite athlete, you walk up the stairs. Take your time. You may even have to stop. And take a breath. But we're on the stairway to heaven. And we're going to stand before God and we're going to give a personal accounting. There's two different events. Those who are in the family of God will have their accounting before Jesus. And their works that they have done with the gift of salvation will be tossed in a fire and be purified. And what's left, hopefully, is some gold to throw at the feet of Jesus. Hopefully there's crowns. And the other accounting is for those who are not written in the Lamb's Book of Life. 
And they're going to stand before God and they're going to squall and they're going to holler and they're going to gnash their teeth. And they're going to say, Lord, Lord, look what I've done for you. Look what we've done in your name. But they didn't have a relationship with him. They didn't confess their sins. And they didn't believe he was who he was. And he tells them, depart from me for I never knew you. And then shortly in behind that, this is me, this is not theological. There's a great big splash in the lake of fire. Tormented forever. Separated from God. With the fact, knowing their faculties. Because we've seen what happened to the rich ruler. He knew what was going on. He knew what had happened. He recognized his mistakes. And he wanted to send somebody to warn his brothers. And so you're going to spend eternity in darkness separated from God, in pain, with the full faculties of knowing that you made the wrong choice. That you didn't believe Jesus was who he was. That you didn't believe God sent him to earth to redeem his creation. You didn't believe there was going to be a new Jerusalem and a new earth. You didn't believe that there was going to be a judgment. You didn't believe that there was going to be a rapture. You didn't believe that God was going to come in glory at the shout of an archangel. No, you didn't believe that. And so you get to swim the rest of eternity begging for a drop of water. A drop of water. Begging for the term ice. Your soul is going to be troubled. Your physical body is going to be troubled. For eternity. And we as humans cannot fathom eternity. And here God is calling out the sinners to repent. To repent. No man has to cross the threshold of hell without having repented. The offer is there. But some people become so enamored with their own selves and their own knowledge and their own view of themselves that they think they know better than God. You have people that are so bold as to say there's no such thing as God. You have people that are so bold to deny the historical fact that Jesus Christ walked the face of this earth. Deny the fact that he is not here because all the money and time spent searching for his grave and his body has never been produced because it ain't here. Common sense. All because of pride. Pride. I have a right to myself. I have a right to do what I want to do. What may be true to you is not truth to me. There's no such thing as absolute truth. And clearly, the Bible tells us there is. Jesus says, I am the truth. They say there's no light. He says, I am the light. There's no one way. Yes, there is. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one. Because people are going to tell you, oh, all roads lead to God. No, they don't. They don't. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In today's time, that's not very inclusive. And just because the people today don't like it, doesn't make it any less true. It is very exclusive. It's exclusive. There's a fence, for lack of a better term, around heaven. 
And the only way to get through it is through the gatekeeper. And the gatekeeper is Jesus Christ. And you have the opportunity today while you're breathing on this side of heaven to secure your spot in that exclusive place called heaven. In the presence of the creator of the universe for eternity. Not as a subject, but as a brother or a sister. A joint heir, which means you're going to be part of the rulers of the kingdom of God. You're a joint heir. You become a royal family. You're part of God's family. He created us to have a relationship with him. That's obvious here when we see the fall of the man. We were designed to seek God. Every one of us, whether we want to admit it or not, know that there is a higher, a higher power at work in this universe. We know that. And a lot of people have spent a lot of time trying to define who that is. When God himself tells us who it is, him. The first words of Genesis tells us how we came to be. Why do you think it's so important that Satan trash the first chapter of Genesis? Because if he can get you to doubt one part, of the creation story, you can doubt the rest of the book. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything. And especially wants you to not believe Revelation. Because it doesn't end well for Satan. It doesn't end well at all. Nor his followers. And we found out on Wednesday night that every one of us was a follower of Satan. Until we came to Christ. We walked in the ways of this world, referred to as the flesh and other things, absent the spirit. But here's what we need to know. There's hope. There's hope. There's hope for our sins. There's hope that this sinner can obtain everlasting life. There's hope that this sinner can spend eternity with God, not rejected. He won't reject you. If you're not sure of your salvation, if you're not sure of your salvation, if you're 99% sure, I would say that you're probably 100% lost. You need to be 100% sure. He tells us in this book that that's our hope. If we accepted Christ and believed who he is and his actions were done for us and for the world, guess what? We accept Him as our Lord and Savior. We ask Him to come into our heart. We confess our sin. And He comes to us. Because He tells us, All who cry out in My name, I will come to them. Are you crying today? Are you afraid to? I'm going to do a little experiment today. And so I want everyone right now to bow your heads. Close your eyes and bow your heads. Please, no peeping. And this is just between me, and you, and the Lord. If you're not 100% sure of your salvation, just raise your hand a little bit. Just raise your hand a little bit. Today's the day. Come down here to the altar. Today, come down to the altar, and let's pray together. And let's make it 100% sure. Because, see, Jesus loves you, and He knows you. He died for you. 
He did it so that you would have a future in eternity with Him. Today's the day. Don't let it go because we're not promised tomorrow. We're not promised the next five minutes. Today is it. Now's the time. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, I love you. I thank you for this day. And Lord, I ask that not one soul depart this building without being 100% sure that you're their Savior and that they have a hope and a guaranteed presence with you in eternity. Today's the day, Lord. Like no other, today's the day. The kingdom of heaven is near and one day the door is going to close. While it's open, please let these folks step through. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.